Welcome to the Young IPA Podcast. I'm James. This is Pete. G'day, everyone. It is the 14th of April. Uh, big show for you guys coming up. We are going to be talking to Anjali Nadarunjan, who is the new IPA camp, uh, sorry, Generation Liberty campus coordinator down at Macquarie University. Generation Liberty has a whole lot of exciting new projects and content coming out over this lockdown. So we're going to be talking to Anjali about what are the stuff that Generation Liberty members can be expecting, which we know a lot of our listeners are members of. So that's exciting. Uh, so yeah, fun fact, we now do shows on Tuesdays, Pete. Sorry, I didn't quite catch the last thing you said then, James. Fun fact, we now do shows on Tuesday. So last week we did the show on Tuesday just because there was so much on. We had the Brendan O'Neill interview and then Pete and I stopped recording and we said uh, doing shows on Tuesday is so much better than other days. Why don't we do this from now on? And now we do shows on Tuesdays. Correct. Well said. That's good. I agree with that. Good. <laughs> we'll continue on. Um, yeah, so we've got a lot to talk about in this show. We've got Parliament is not coming back till August. We've got all the fines that have been handed out over the Easter weekend. Uh, we've got Trump versus the World Health Organization, heroes and villains. Pete, anything you're looking forward to in particular? I'm looking forward to getting stuck into the World Health Organization because they are trouble. We know that. We've talked about them in the past. Matt Ridley wrote a... I don't want to steal all my lines before we do it, but Matt Ridley wrote a really good article about it. Check it out. And okay. we'll speak about it in a minute. All right, that, that, that's a very good line to steal is that someone else wrote something really good about it. So <laughs> don't want to give away that one too early in the show. Turn the podcast off. Go All on right. the internet. No, just kidding. Okay. Uh, no, just come back. Uh, I want to start off the show with a bit of positivity because there's a lot of, you know, everyone's very sad all the time and deservedly sorry. It's a very grim time in Australian history. We've got a lot of stuff that we're angry about in this show. But I want to start off with a bit of positivity. Australia yeah. hasn't had more than 200 new cases for over a week. I think it is now. We're at least two weeks removed from our peak day. Snaps for Australia. We've done very well. There's a lot of countries out there suffering. And I think Australia's done very well in social distancing and making sure that we don't uh, see the kind of problems that other countries have had. So well done, Australia. We're doing very well. Exactly right. You know, all the people Pat yourselves in the health on the sector. Back. Pay yourselves on the back. Don't. I mean, if you want to do a snap, do a snap. It's a free country. Snap's not my cup of tea. I reckon you should scull or something for Australia. But you know, whatever. It's good that you know. It's not that like we're even flattening the curve. We're bashing the curve into submission. Yeah, exactly. In my, that. In my expert medical opinion, <laughs> I think that's the way that uh, Dr. Fauci's been putting it in the uh, Trump White House press briefings: is to bash the curve yeah. into submission. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I want to start off with that. So well done, Australia. If you're staying at home right now, good on you. We're doing it. Sorry, Pete. Let's talk about people that are definitely staying home. The Australian Parliament. Well, this sort of happened a couple of weeks ago, and uh, well, it was announced a couple of weeks ago, and it kind of escaped our notice. They had a sitting day on Wednesday, and of course, I'm talking about the Federal Australian Parliament. Now, the Federal Australian Parliament is off until August 11, James. I didn't, we, as I said, it happened a couple of weeks ago. We didn't quite realise it. I, uh, I would object. No, we definitely talked about it on this show. I don't think we didn't realise it or just missed it. We are omniscient and omnipotent uh, purveyors of Australian media. Nothing gets past us. It just yeah, happened to yeah, be so, the wildest week in Australian political history that there was only yeah. so much we could talk about in our long show, and now that it's yeah. happened, now we talk about it. That's right, yeah. Now, James is right. We didn't miss it. Uh, but we didn't talk about it. We're going to talk about it now. Now, James is of the opinion that's too long. We, they should be there. They should be working out what we need to be doing to fight the pandemic that we're facing. I started off agreeing with that. Then I started disagreeing because I thought about Belgium. 
a few years ago where Belgium had their like some kind of suspension of their parliament because of uh, some kind of impasse that they were having with their budget and their economy went gangbusters because the, the parliament wasn't able to do anything in the interim. So I started agreeing with that viewpoint for a while, but then I changed my mind again because obviously these conditions are very different. We're facing a pandemic. We probably need our parliament sitting. And also, James, I what should What an point emotional out, week I- it's been for you. It's hard being me, James. It's hard, you know. It's an emotional roller coaster. I'm an emotional guy. People don't realise that. Anyway, I'd also like to see Bob Catter on his phone or his laptop just absolutely going nuts in some Zoom sitting of Parliament and then, you know, the speaker going, ah, Bob, you're on you're on mute, mate. Um, <laughs> and Bob, Bob going, what? You know, anyway, I'd love I to see Bob Zoom Catter on Zoom. I don't think Zoom is brave enough to give Bob Catter even a mute option. Yeah, there should be a Bob Catter. There should be a Bob Catter option where you just there's just no mute. So anyway, I'd love to say that. I feel like that's a little bit excessive. I understand that you know they don't want to get sick themselves, and there's a lot of travellers in that group. They travel all the time, Uh, but it does save like a long time to not be doing stuff. I would say the difference between the Belgium case that you brought up and what we're doing now is that we still have a parliament and we still have, you know, this national cabinet kind of thing with the premier and all, uh, sorry, all the premiers and Scott Morrison. Belgium didn't have that. So we, what we have is just one group making decisions and literally no checks or balances on it because there's no parliament sitting. Anthony Albanese can't get up and say, what about X, Y, and Z? So that's why I think Parliament should still be there. Like you think about job uh, job seeker, uh, sorry, job keeper payments, which you know I'm. I said last week that it's a good idea, but we do when this kind of money is just being handed out, we do need some voices in there going like, "Wait, are we absolutely sure about this?" And we don't have that anymore. And I just exactly think right. when you told the when you tell the Australia in. Sorry, when you tell the entire Australian workforce to go to Zoom meetings with their Bob Catter options. Australian Parliament can't do that? Like, what are the rules that are stopping 150 people jumping on a Zoom call or a Skype call or, you know, if you're worried about privacy, make your own one kind of thing? I don't see why Parliament needs to be suspended when Parliament sat during Spanish flu and World War II, which, to this point, were bigger problems than what we're facing right now. Particularly the Spanish flu one, because, you know, that that was also a pandemic. That sort of makes it uh, a good example. Uh, And, yeah, I just think it would be good for them to because as you know as people say they try and shut you down speech during periods like this you know anyone who raises any questions about the lockdown gets shouted down when really this is the time when decisions are made that affect us for decades and decades and decades that we need as much oversight as possible yeah uh and i was gonna say so you bring up uh you've already stolen my answer as to which politician would have the strangest zoom background like i think bob Catter would have something quite bob Catter might just have himself like he would be his own Zoom background. Yeah, Bob Catter is Bob Catter's greatest hero, Bob, <laughs> greatest mentor, as they say in the office. So, uh, yeah. yeah, I wish I. The problem with me is uh, my I do Zoom meetings off my phone, which means I can't do the hacker Zoom background because every podcast we do this podcast through Zoom. Every podcast I'd have a different photo of Peter Gregory as my background, and I think the Australian people are being robbed of that option. I think that's a real shame, James. I didn't know that that was the thing. I was wondering why I couldn't work out how to do the background. I just put it down to being crap with technology, but it's because I'm using my phone. There yeah, I've go. looked it up. No, so you need the absolute newest phone to do it, or your well, my laptop predates Western civilization, so I can't really do it off my laptop either. You should be able to do it because your laptop got fixed just before coronavirus hit. I don't know what I would choose that's different from my current background. Nondescript <laughs> sharehouse is my vibe. Yeah, so I'm going to go with it. 
It's got a nice place you got there. Uh, all right, so yeah, that's the apartment suspended. I want to talk about. Uh, I previewed this. Don Harwin, New South Wales Arts Minister. Now we talked last week about the Scottish Health Minister. Oh, sorry, the Scottish Chief Health Officer that went to her uh, second house in the middle of a lockdown. It's come to Australia now. So Don Harwin has quit his uh, arts ministerial portfolio two days after it was revealed. He decamped to his central coast holiday home during the coronavirus crisis. Uh, he... Uh, he said he's been fined $1,000 by New South Wales police from relocating from Elizabeth Bay to Pearl Beach in contravention of the ministerial direction. Mr. Harwin said he sought at all times to act in accordance with public health orders and, quote, remains confident, end quote, that he had done so. Uh, bad news, Don, you had not. I don't know how com- how you can be confident that you had followed the health uh regulations when you definitely did not follow them, but uh, he, he says he's followed them. That is the bit that struck me was this kind of disconnect between Don Harwin who's saying, yeah, I'm going to resign even though I didn't do it and the police who fined him for (laughs) not doing it. So presumably he did do it wrong, did do something wrong. And if, you know, the people making these rules can't keep up with what's legal and what's not legal, uh, it's little wonder that no one else can. I'd also note that in her speech, Gladys Gladys Berejiklian said, uh, now, where is it here? I can't find it. But anyway, she said, I know Don thinks he follows the rules. Don, Don assures me that he followed the rules, but I've accepted his resignation. So even she, I gathering from that, is not quite 100% sure if he's done the right thing or not. And then, uh, anyway, so he's fallen on his sword. But there you go. Clearly I, not sure. What's I don't on. think it is a mini thing. I don't think it's like, uh, you know, sitting down on a public bench in the middle of a run because you're tired, whether or that that's illegal this is literally going from one house to another house that isn't your primary residence like that was one of the most obvious ones yeah and it's going from an international city where there's heaps of travelers yeah. to a little country town and potentially being, take it with you yeah i think you're being a bit too generous towards don harwin here saying oh it's you know it's a weird one you don't really know which one is to follow i think this one's pretty black or white yeah but if you're telling people to isolate people in their heads go oh well i'll just go to I'll go to my holiday house or I'll go to somewhere where there's less people. It's a natural inclination. I think you're being a bit keen. Uh, Kind on him. And the second thing is, like, this is the most... You can say, all right, so maybe he's just got it wrong. What if, like, I I think it's also a bit, well, it doesn't really apply to me. Like, because I don't have it. So, A bit of that, do you reckon? I reckon it's also like, well, I clearly don't have it and I'm fine and I need to do this. So, you know, the people out there, the regular folk, they they need to self-isolate, but me, the elite, I'm okay. I mean, there's like a few of these running around. I don't know if that's entirely, but there's now, it's pretty clearly one rule for the elites and one rule for the commoners. Well, yeah, I could. I, 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 there could be a bit of that. I don't know, Don, personally, you are right. I do think that when I'm running down the street, and people get out of your way for the social distancing. In my head, I think, nah, it's fine. I don't have it. Don't worry about it. But mm. um, so, <laughs> no, but the, we've, we've both missed, missed the most, most important point here, James. And that is that why does New South Wales have an arts minister? There shouldn't be an arts department. We don't need government-funded arts departments. And if we do, we don't need one in each state and the Commonwealth. So I reckon take this opportunity of Don's resignation to just finish up this department, save a bit of moolah, which we're now all short of, and privatise art. 
Well, there we go. Uh, I want to I want to bring up another one. So a few years ago, this liberal uh, member of the Legislative Council in New South Wales, Catherine Cusack, had to resign as parliamentary secretary after sending Gladys Berejiklian in an email strongly criticising the fact that Don Harwin was even made a cabinet minister. She yeah. absolutely blasted him in a private email. It got leaked. She was saying, we're working with Don's dreadful performance. As you know, he is no orator. He's easily flustered. He's wafer thin-skinned. This is all resulting in gross embarrassment for the upper house. She had to resign for that one, but guess who was right? <laughs> What's that? What was the last bit you said? Sorry. Guess who was right? Yeah, exactly right. After She'll years, be... you've been squatting that on that take. Catherine Cusack. You, you just knew it. You had to suffer for it. But three years later, people might want to draw a parallel to a certain father of one of the hosts. But when you've been yeah. right about something for years and no one believed you and then you get proved right... <laughs> It is a great day. <laughs> vindicated. Absolutely vindicated. All right. Now, should we move on to police going overboard, James? Mm-hmm. So this is, this is pretty interesting, this stuff. We know that there's been all these fines for people breaking the laws of the lockdown in various parts of Australia. Three friends have been slapped with an almost $5,000 in fines because they were playing video games together in one of their lounge rooms. Now, they didn't all live there, obviously. A couple of mates came over to play video games. Don't know what they were playing. Don't know who won. But they got fined $1,652 each. Uh, Victoria Police have conducted, as of last week, 835 spot checks at homes, businesses and non-essential services. Uh, we also saw people fined for playing park cricket or backyard cricket the other day. So they've been going a bit crazy. My thing with this is, it's sixteen. why is it $1,652? Where have they come up with that? Like, there's no difference in deterrent, really, between... and. I'm sort of just spitballing here, but say, you know, 200 buck fine at $1,600 fine. You don't want either of those fines, right? Is there any reason that they're absolutely killing people uh, during a time when clearly, you know, a large section of the population's out of work? It seems really excessive, the fine amount for me. Uh, I think it's the then- grunt the pig colliery who, if people remember, was fined, I think it was to the decimal point of cents for being a pig. Yeah. So I think it's just you take the grunt, the pig, what that fine was, and then you just sort of improvise your way around it. But the the grunt, the pig, that's the the root of it. Yeah. Yeah. So the (laughs) fine for being a pig. (laughs) Anyway, so I don't know. And then if they they, they find 114 people right in Victoria, I worked that out. That's like $188,000 in fines that they're just pulling in. So I guess that's why they're doing it. Yeah, there you go. Like, there's no uh, reason so why it's 1600 bucks. is my... I reckon the media switched from, like, uh, the narrative being, hey, look at this person breaking social distancing. Like, that was a clickbait headline. Because the media is yeah. always just going to do what people click on. And people were clicking on, hey, look at this oh. idiot breaking social distancing rules. Thanks and then Bob. after the L Plater got fined for just driving around with her mum... I, I feel, and I've got nothing to back this up, but I feel when you browse media, it's now switched to look at this ridiculous fine that the police... I, I think there's been a switch in who gets the sympathy. Like The sympathy went from us copying it because this person's breaking coronavirus guidelines to now this person doing something that's so innocent is now getting fined. Uh, I saw uh, James Patterson tweeted this one out. People got fined for posting family holiday photos because they didn't make it very clear that it was from last year. What do you so mean? Thought, they didn't say that from last year. Well, like people put up photos of themselves on holidays. They got fined, but the photos were from really? last year. 
That's amazing. So yeah. they didn't go. They didn't just tell the police this is from last year. And the no, I think they, they did bring it up, and then the fine gets overturned. But like you know, the fines were getting handed out pretty quickly. And then uh, I saw this one as well in Queensland. Someone got fined for driving from Cairns to Port Douglas for a Tinder date. <laughs> now, sir. Not even a time of good public health can I condone that kind of activity. There is no reason to be driving How far is that? from Kansas far to Fort Douglas. It is too far. I'm going to Google it. <laughs> you Google it. I'll uh, hold for you. So, yeah. I, you keep going. I, I think, yeah, the public's view is now switching. I think uh, people are about just about sick of the lockdown fines. and you know. I think you're exactly right. And people sort of say, uh, you know, why do... You know, the media, when people talk about, you know, the media controls everything and they control what we view and stuff like that, there's an element of truth to that. But also, the media follows people. Like, people Absolutely. have started to get sick of lockdowns. People have started to think, okay, this is a bit ridiculous. When are we going to start opening up again? And that is why the media has changed. So, you're not power powerless people out there. So, yeah. it's hard How to long Google, is it? Google and uh, Port Douglas, Queensland. All right. I'm going to keep going with Trump That's versus... Go. One hour and six minutes. Too far. Not that far. Um, it's not as bad. I thought it would be at least three hours. I, I thought it was long because Queensland's massive. Queensland, Queensland is low-key massive. massive. Like, yeah. I just Port Douglas and Cairns does seem pretty far away. Yeah. I, I don't know. If you're, lose, if you're leaving city limits, I, I think you're driving too far for a Tinder date. Yeah, but he might be in love. Like, who knows? Anyway, let's move on. Uh, all right. Uh, I would talk about this for an hour and a half, but we need to move on. Sorry. Uh, Trump versus World Health Organization. Now, last week, my villain on the show was Bruce Aylward, a Canadian senior WHO advisor, the guy that ducked questions about Taiwan from the reporter. Uh, this is. Sorry? I called him scum. You did. Uh, and you were much. nervous about that, but now you've called him it on two different episodes. So <laughs> you've really become emboldened by it. Uh, all right. So this is now. And I want to say it's a result of me calling him the villain, but now Trump versus the World Health Organization, or just Scott Morrison's now attacking the World Health Organization. It's it's now no okay to do this. And I think it's because of us. Yeah. Uh, so the uh, here are some of the reasons the World Health Organization are getting absolutely blasted in the media. So in January, the World Health Organization tweeted, preliminary investigations conducted by the Chinese authorities have found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the coronavirus. Also in January, uh, the C- like the what is it? The Director General of the World Health Organization, Tedros Anderholm, uh, Jabrisius, who is China's preferred nominee to lead the organization, he praised China for quickly mapping the virus's genome for what he calls his government's, quote, commitment to transparency. Interesting. Then in February, Tedros credited China for taking measures that gave the rest of the world, quote, a fighting chance, end quote, to stop the spread of coronavirus. Now, Pete, there's a few things that I would uh, point out about coronavirus. Human to human transmission is something that definitely does happen. Uh, China was important. not transparent about it. And the rest of the world was not given the greatest of fighting chances because of China's work on the coronavirus. So three things that put me at odds with the World Health Organization as we speak. Yeah, they lied about it. And so China lied about it and the World Health Organization believed them and then spread all this stuff. And then they don't even you know, acknowledge that Taiwan exists. So Trump saying that they're not going to fund them is a big deal because the US gives them a tenth of their budget, 550 million US big ones. Uh, there's a few other things. So we did. you mentioned that human-to-human transmission. Matt Ridley did a really good piece about this. Uh, and he says that they have spent the last few years, rather than preparing the world for a pandemic, 
They've spent the years since the SARS and Ebola alarms talking more about climate change, obesity and tobacco uh, rather than preparing the country for this. I don't think they're really fit for purpose based on the way they treated Taiwan, based on the way they believe China. They praised China for the way they handled the virus. China locked people in their houses and they dragged sick people off to concentration camps. And they're getting and and they want this organisation wants us to fund them. Mm. They're a disgrace. I don't you know it's I don't, Trump is exactly right to say he's going to question their funding. At least they have to reform. Uh, there was a great article in Business Insider about this, and it basically comes down to either the World Health Organization is incompetent or it's afraid of the Chinese government and is going to peddle what the Chinese government tells it to do. Either way, n- not neither of those options are good. Yeah, neither. Yeah, neither of them are good. They don't. They don't. I mean, yeah, they've failed in their thing to get ready for this kind of event for a number of reasons. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on to Heroes and Villains. So before we get into this, uh, on last week's Heroes and Villains, I praised uh, Jay Williams, the former NBA player, for uh, pushing for the rest of the NBA season to be placed on a cruise. And I called for the creation of Footy Island, which almost got like... Was actually tossed around in Footy HQ, the like the idea of putting all the players on an island and playing the rest of the season. So I'm a man of influence. Uh, Dana White, the CEO of the UFC, tried to get Fight Island happening. He apparently used a privately owned island to build a UFC headquarters so they could still host UFC fights. Uh, but the US public health people are saying he can't. Uh, I, I like sports islands. All right, I like sports islands. I want a Footy Island if, and I want a Fight Island, and I want ja- all other kinds of islands. When James Bolt speaks, things happen. Yeah, it's like a butterfly flapping its wings, and then somewhere else on the Except world there's a eagle. tidal wave. Except it's a really small, weak butterfly <laughs> that started. <laughs> that started, mate. So I'm very impressed that you've you know the island is now a thing and could happen. Well done, that was you. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. So bring bring back Footy Island. All right. Uh, so Pete, your hero, the grunt, the pig, snort of freedom. <laughs> This is someone that stood up for good things and for freedom and for good news around the world this week. So uh, hit us with it. Mate, I'm really happy about my hero this week because we like to slag this mob off a lot. And this week, they're my nomination for hero. And they are the ABC. So a couple of things the ABC has done this week, which has really impressed me. Uh, last week we told you about how ABC Drive Melbourne took out a key phrase of Gideon Rosner's video about ending the lockdown. Now, Media Watch on ABC, a particular part of the ABC that we, we slag off the ABC in general, and in particular we slag off Media Watch, but Media Watch this week featured that performance from ABC Radio, and Paul Berry, to his credit, found them guilty of poor behaviour or whatever it's called. So I'll play a clip of that now. But when they replayed the audio, a key line somehow went missing. Do it safely, but do it. Not in six months, not in one month, now. Spot the difference. The IPA's full quote was, do it safely with appropriate social distancing measures in place. And that line about having appropriate social distancing measures in place is kind of crucial. So Paul Barry will be absolutely over the moon to find out. He's He's half of my nomination for Hero of the Week. And my other Hero of the Week within the ABC pyramid of heroes is Michael Rowland, who had Daniel Wilde on, on uh, ABC Breakfast News yesterday morning and then tweeted out, thanks for all... So the IPA's Daniel Wilde. Thanks for all the feedback on our chat with Daniel Wilde from the IPA this morning. It's our role at the ABC to accommodate and test all viewpoints in Australian society, not just from one side of the spectrum. Thanks for watching. Pretty simple. 
uh, sentiment you would have thought, James, pretty uncontroversial. Now, the Twitter numbnuts really revealed themselves to be the open-hearted, tolerant people that we knew they all were. The IPA was trending all day because of this tweet by this ABC journo about how, yeah, we should have the IPA on from time to time. And uh, 2,000 replies as of this morning. 2,000 replies. There you go. And it's like... Um, so these people, I can't believe you had this thing I disagree with on the ABC. It's like, this is how we feel all the time, people. Yeah. And uh, uh, all, all the reason to privatise it. Uh, Josh Bornstein, director of the Australian Institute, tweeted in response to Michael Rowland, uh, if that was strictly right and that the ABC should have all viewpoints on. So if that was strictly right, the ABC would allow extreme left groups to get airtime. As we all know, that doesn't happen. <laughs> Who's going to tell them? <laughs> should you have tell you checked him? Out the, have you checked out the ABC recently? I reckon you should tell him because you're better at breaking bad news than I am. Okay, yeah. So you, you tell Josh Bornstein. I'll soften it with a joke or something. Yeah. Or, or a bit of encouragement. I really love the way you're going about it, but bad news. <laughs> and then you yeah, just flick so, on ABC News and you two just wait. Yeah. Just so, wait yeah. five minutes. <laughs> anyway, so they went bananas. If you're not on Twitter... Well done on not being on Twitter, but it was it was a big story yesterday. The ABC, ABC the IPA was trending in Australia for hours because the ABC had us on. So I I don't even like so I know that um what do I how, how do I say this? They're, I don't know how they can are they actually serious though when they're complaining about the ABC the IPA being on for like five minutes of this massive left wing propaganda machine that they've got the whole year round. Are they I serious? would feel. I would feel if you're watching something 24-7 that only ever th- says things you agree with and, you know, it's like if you had a bowl of Fruit Loops and somehow some cornflakes got in there, you would think, how did the cornflakes get in there? You wouldn't think, what a great <laughs> bowl of 97% Fruit Loops. You'd go like, wait, what was that cornflake in there? What was that about? Yeah. So that's what, what it is. It's 24-7 hour, 24-7 everything I, they say I agree with, and then somehow this one opinion comes in and you're like, what was that? <laughs> what was that? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, for me, I always felt like they defend the ABC because it's a massive help to them. Like, it's this billion-dollar propaganda machine. But I, th- I always assumed deep down they knew it was an absolute stitch-up that we all pay for this thing that forwards their point of view. I assume they knew that, but maybe they don't. I think a lot of those people are in such a bubble that they go... This I have the views that are correct and that everyone else has. And then when you see a view that you do not agree with, you go, hmm, that's incorrect. That's not what I think and therefore what the Australian public thinks. Why should that be allowed? Yeah. So that's what it is. Anyway, that's what I learned. And anyway, ABC, my heroes, Michael Rowland, Paul Barry. My hero this week is everyone and slash us and slash myself uh, because everyone is, uh, you know, Everyone's always had when you order takeaway food and you just because you're just too lazy to cook. And now it's no longer that you're just lazy. It is uh, you're supporting local communities. You're supporting local restaurants. You don't have a drinking problem anymore. You're just supporting a local seller. Uh, yeah. Everyone's okay now. We're all pillars of our communities every time we get too bored or too lazy to cook. So good on everyone. Keep ordering and keep being lazy. That's how I feel. When I when I get my lapuketa or my uh, fish and chips, I'm like, I'm a really good bloke. Yeah, I'm helping out some poor franchisee or some poor person running a takeaway thing, mm-hmm. and I feel good about it. Even I, I, you know, I used to not. 
I live in a house with four other people who are all amazing cooks and they all have now got this coffee press and they make them themselves coffee from scratch every day. I'm a holdout really on bad. this. All I do is walk to the cafe and get myself a takeaway coffee. And you know what? I'm not lazy. I'm just helping local businesses. No, exactly right. I, c- I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. And how about that thing that re- went around on social media saying boycott Uber because they're, they're charging restaurants 30% to... Um, to do the delivery, it's like the only reason a lot of these restaurants are still open is because of Uber. You absolute yep. nitwits. Anyway, good on Uber. So, all right, and also the Uber, oh. the Uber eats delivery drivers. Like the, those yeah. kind of campaigns are just like these people should not even have the one job that they do have. Yeah, these people that don't earn much anyway should earn absolutely nothing. Yep. Uh, okay, let's move on to villains. Villains right, of the so, week. Oh, you go. Yeah. So, because you don't like introducing the thing, remember? I do so, not. The fake nerdy run by Extinction Rebellion. Is going to play now. As Extinction Rebellion protests enter their sixth day. There it is. That's not a real nudie run. As a result, people who do who stand up for oppression and, and not liberty are called the fake Extinction Rebellion nudie run award winners of the week. James, hit us with what you got, mate. Okay. Uh... I swear this happens every two months, but the UN has appointed China to the United Nations Human Rights Council panel on human rights. Yeah, the United Nations Human Rights Council. Like, China's on there now. China imprisoning a million Uyghur uh, Muslims. China dragging sick people off to camps and, uh, what was it? Like, actually welding people inside Mm. buildings. Human Rights Council. Thank you, UN. The UN does do this all the time, but that's no reason for us to not talk about it because it is a disgrace. And yep. and people say, you know, we should listen to the UN. And every time they say, oh, Australia's immigration program is, uh, you know, contravenes international law, and everyone says, oh my God, the UN doesn't like us. People have to remember that this is the kind of stuff the UN pulls on a regular basis. A bloke from uh, Taiwan who's in the Taiwanese parliament had a really good uh, tweet. His name is Wang Ting Yu. He tweeted, Passport holders of Taiwan, the second freest country in Asia, cannot enter UN buildings, but China, a country that corralled a million Muslims into concentration camps, gets to pick human rights investigators who will oversee abuses across the globe. Does this make sense? Narrator, this did not make sense. That, that's that a very my... good uh, tweet by you with the old Thanks, mate. Got, joke. Got five likes, I think. So there we get go. around it. Anyway, do you, is that, do you have anything more on that? or should Yeah, we, so China uh, is now able to influence the selection of at least 17 UN human rights mandate holders over the next year, known as special procedures, who investigate, monitor, and publicly report on either specific country situations or on issues all over the world, such as freedom of speech or religion. So China gets to appoint people investigating human rights. Mm. Big problem. Now, the one thing that the UN could leak out is uh, maybe they're just doing a keep your friends close, but keep your enemies closer. And there's no way you keep your enemies closer on human rights than appointing them to the human rights board. So that would be the line I'd be pushing if I was a UN. Well, when I'm having an argument with someone, the first thing I do is appoint them to a human <laughs> rights committee. And if that's what the, the that's UN's why you appointed doing, me to so many committees. I'll put you in charge of so much stuff. Uh, the UN, have, if that's what their tactic is, they've been doing that for a long time. Because yes. we always see stuff like this. Remember when they put Zimbabwe as head of like their health thing like that I genuinely think that they like they do this every two or three months just to get people talking about them again it drives traffic their their website people would be like we get so much traffic when we do this yeah just just put some dictator country on some panel and just watch the clicks come in yeah and then we'll just send the numbers up they won't realise and it'll look like we're doing really well All All right, right. your villain 
My villain is the New York Times, James. I did the ABC as my hero, so I'm going to have to slag off another lefty media organisation as my villain to make up for it. Their reporting of the sexual uh, assault allegations against Joe Biden has been a little bit sneaky, James. So let me run through a few things. They had, uh, first of all, uh, let me get rid of let me, let me let me start off here. They had a paragraph in this report about Joe Biden that said the Times found no pattern of sexual misconduct by Mr. Biden beyond the hugs, kisses, and touching that women previously said made them uncomfortable. Now, <laughs> yeah, I if you rule out all the bad things, there's no bad things left. All the times that he touched women that he, they didn't want him to touch, hurt them, and made them really uncomfortable. Apart from that, he did no sexual uh, harassment. I don't. Sorry, New York Times, but for like five years, this is what you've been talking about and this has been your thing. You can't now change the rules and say, oh, a bit of a misunderstanding, you know, our apologies. There's more, by the way, but this is my first point. Uh, yeah, I just, I, uh, to me, it's just the perfect way of deflecting an argument is to just go, well, mm. if you remove all the bad things about this person, the only, uh, there's only things left to good things. So therefore, he's a good guy. I mean, exactly it's very right. good gaslighting. So if you just ignore all this other stuff, then there's no <laughs> yeah. more stuff to ignore. Exactly right. Once it's there, guy. Anyway, so that happened, right? And there was, and they they included it in an article, and they included it in a tweet, and then there was a bit of a back, uh, what's it called, backlash, and um, they removed it, but they didn't tell anyone that they removed it. So there, so then people will. So normally, when you update an article, you have got to put a thing in it saying, you know, we've updated the article. They didn't do that, so they didn't understand what sexual harassment really is they removed it without telling anyone and they haven't apologized for it yeah. and uh, so one more thing Rita panahi has been all over this so she has all the information if you want to know more uh and i just think they've said you know after years and years and years of absolutely flaying people for this stuff and this is the world they've created they uh now it's their guy and they don't want to do it yeah all right uh let's now go to our interview with angelina Naranji. We're now joined for the first time by one of the IPA's new campus corners, Angeline Nadarunjin hey. uh, from Macquarie University. How are you going? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Awesome. Uh, so we've got a whole lot to cover. We've got all this new stuff that Generation Liberty are coming out with in the next couple of weeks that we want to talk about. I want to start with this, though. Angeline, you've written for The Spectator Australia, which already makes you more qualified than myself and I think Pete, who's never been in The Spectator Australia. No, I've been so in you The Spectator us- a few times, James. Sorry. All right, so you're, okay, so you're definitely mate. more qualified than I am. So uh, what did you write about and how can I one day become the journalist that you are? Oh, you're too kind. Um, I've written on a variety of uh, liberty-related issues from civil liberties, free speech to internet freedoms, um, as well as the plain tobacco plain packaging laws and the impacts of intellectual property rights if plain packaging laws go forward. Um, so a wide range of issues, as well as politics um, and public policy issues that were happening in Australia at the time, such as the lockout laws. Um, so yeah, a variety of different issues, liberty-related. Which one was your favourite article to write? I think the tobacco plan packaging laws, because I'm a law student, so a lot of the issues coming up were like, what is the impact on intellectual property rights? Uh, what is the impact for companies um, and into the future? So it had like very far reaching consequences. And I really enjoyed uh, working with my colleagues um, to write that article. Now, awesome. Anjali, I noticed that you haven't done one for a while. Is there, have you, is it dropped off deliberately or are you going to write another one soon? What's, what's been causing this delay? You know, a bit of uni stuff going on? 
a lot of uni stuff happening. A lot of the times I was writing on behalf of the Australian Taxpayers Alliance as well, which is a grassroots advocacy body. So um, well, while I was a research associate there, I did have the opportunity to write a lot more frequently, um, but I'm still in contact with the Spectator Australian. I do hope to maybe get an article in perhaps in the next few weeks because I've got lots of time on my hands with coronavirus happening. That's right. Yeah, we've uh, no one's got anything but time in the hands. Uh, now, the, uh, we want to talk to you about Generation Liberty's new product, Viral Banter, the Gen Lib COVID Forum. So, what were your experiences making that? Which everyone can check out on the Generation Liberty Facebook page, also on the IPA's Facebook page, just wherever you uh, want to check it out. So, what did you enjoy doing about it, and uh, what were your main takeaways from it? Um, I thoroughly enjoyed actually being able to talk about um, the civil liberties that are being curtailed at the moment. I think because uh, coronavirus is so topical at the moment, it was good to really uh, have a platform to provide a perspective for what young people are going through in this crisis. So I was able to highlight a lot about the impacts of coronavirus on the job market. It's going to be very tough for young people to get back into that market, considering that they are in a more, uh, they're not in indispensable positions and they're more likely to be laid off, as well as the fact that they need to capitalise on new opportunities that are happening at the moment in order to adapt to a very vast changing and rapidly changing economy. So it was really interesting as well to, to chat with some of my other fellow coordinators as well about their perspectives on government overreach as well as, well as what was happening in their states. Angelie, what did you feel about the name Viral Banter? Renee Gorman thought of that. She thought it was a 10 out of 10 gag. What would you give it out of 10? And do you think Renee is ready for fatherhood? No, no, I think it was a good one, especially considering that we are living in a very much um, a pandemic at the moment. I think viral banter was perfect for that particular. um, Oh, there you go. Renee will be Uh, absolutely pumped about that. She was pretty proud of that. Well, I'm not a, uh, I'm not as entirely involved in this project as Pete is, but I did see one of the names that was getting floated around being meat and potatoes for a hot <laughs> second there, which is a very Peter Gregory saying. So, Pete, <laughs> do you have any comment on how close we came to that name, which is uh, the most I don't wanna, fatherhood name in history? I don't want to, you know, uh, what's the word, reveal the inner workings of the Gen Lib hierarchy in terms of how we come up with stuff, but meat and potatoes was on the table for a while, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I don't think it was my idea, but um, yeah, yeah, I don't want to reveal too much, effectively. All right, fair enough. But uh, Anjali, uh, as you say, there's a whole lot of young people out there that are feeling the brunt of the economic decisions of the various state and federal governments. Uh have anyone like uh, close to you been affected or maybe yourself has been affected and what are the sort of like human experiences that you're noticing out there because from my perspective like I mean half my house have been either stood down or laid off and it's it's pretty grueling seeing it face to face and just seeing you know like conversations like okay rent's coming up what do we do kind of stuff so is that something that you're seeing as well? Yeah, absolutely. So I think among the younger population, a lot of the issues that we're facing is more to do with the impacts this will have on our education and our jobs. Um, Young people are facing interrupted educations, vanishing jobs, um, and a lost social lives. And a lot of young people, I think, are being portrayed as reckless and self-indulgent for wanting to have that social life. But it's actually true that younger Australians are going to pay the price for defending the elderly from the threat of coronavirus pandemic. And uh, thanks to the fact that the the tax system is skewed against them. So um, I think that the 
that, that young people are bearing much of the brunt of the virus shutdown and its economic impacts. Um, and because of the fact that young people tend to be a rather social generation as well, this is going to have a lot of impacts on mental health as well, um, as well as things like uh, missed job opportunities and a lost chance to actually begin a career when this all ends, as well as um, delayed graduations or having to delay your degree because of these issues happening. So, Angelie, I just want to take up your point there where you said that young people are going to have to pay for this and they're sort of being depicted as a little bit reckless at times in the media. Do you think that's fair uh, given, you know, that a lot of the people making these decisions have basically 100% job security and they'll never, ever have to deal with what uh, the choices that they're making on young people's behalf? Yeah, I think it's been um, the fact that the media hasn't really provided a, a strong perspective of young people because young people are the ones facing um, interrupted educations. Many are delaying their degrees or graduation. Many are going to face missed job opportunities as well as the, the prospect of vanished jobs or a lost chance to begin a career. So this is going to have large economic implications on young people particularly. Also, the fact that young people tend to have very social lives, tend to be more active. Uh, the fact that we can't go out as we used to, we can't play sport with friends. These will also impact significantly on the mental health of young people. And the fact that most young Australians aren't in a vulnerable group, um, a lot of the um, patients that have coronavirus are more elderly or they have particular chronic illnesses. This means that young people are really uh, bearing much of the brunt for uh, the virus shutdown and its economic impacts. One part of uh, viral banter that I want to talk about with someone is Boston Edwards, great friend of the show, great interview last week. We all had a lot of fun. Boston gave the ABC a massive spray for not showing the Queen's speech. Mm. So how did you feel about that? Was it fair, maybe a bit much? Uh, I think the, the, they should have perhaps broadcasted the Queen's speech, given the fact that a lot of Australians do look up to the Queen and she is a, she provides a, a strong voice in the community. So I do believe that the ABC should have provided it and shouldn't have had any political view not to do so. Yeah, he was very fired up. I think the word disgusting was banded around a couple of times by Boston. Uh, very passionate monarchist. Now, I want to move on to a slightly different topic that we're launching pretty much today, and that is the GenLib Lists of Five, so young people can check out on our Instagram and Facebook and website. Uh, Lists of five things to get you through the lockdown and just to provide a bit of interest, stuff like top five favorite video games, top five favorite binge-worthy Netflix television programs. What list of five are you doing and why? Um, I've decided to go with the top five books, mainly because I'm a massive bookworm and also um, love to read. And I think there's a lot of good literature out there. I think the coronavirus shutdown has given a lot of opportunity for people to actually have a time to sit down and, and read. So yeah, I'm going with a book list. Right. And, and so can you give us any hints about what's on it at the moment or is it sort of still top secret? Uh, I can give a few cl- a few clues. There's a few yeah. uh, dystopian science fiction thrown in. It's a good mix of also nonfiction and philosophy. So I think it should be um, really eclectic taste for different kinds of people. Excellent. It- Gary Lyons' autobiography, will that be on the list? Sorry? Gary Lyons' autobiography, will that be on the list? Not as I know of yet, but okay. it's still in the works. Do you know who that is? <laughs> Not too sure. <laughs> <laughs> I should point out Angela's from Sydney, so that's why she doesn't know who the great Gary Lyon is. Bolter, did you have a question, mate? Uh, no, I was just going to say, so uh, is there a particular book that you're looking forward to? Maybe it's not on the list, maybe it is on the list, but something that you're going, all right, now's the time I'm going to read this. Um, 
I think I'm going to get more into maybe actually the autobiography readings because there's a lot of, um, so Gary Lyon, <laughs> I'm go with that. Yeah. Um, still not sure, but I, I think, yeah, an autobiography would be good. Cool. All right. What about uh, Pete? Pete, have you got a book that you're looking forward to finally getting around to reading? Well, as I said on the show last week, you know, the barefoot investor, it's time yep. to grow up. It's time to learn a bit about finance. Yep. And I said last week I hadn't started it. This week, I still haven't started it, but it's gone from my bookcase to beside my bed. So any day now... That's a I'll long journey. To, I'll be able to answer... Well, I'll be able to answer any financial questions you might have, James. All right, sweet. Uh, well, in the spirit of sharing my one... Like uh, yeah. pretty much any uh, single guy in the mid-20s, I've had Infinite Jest by David Foster Wallace on my bookshelf for about two years and I haven't even looked at it yet, let alone touched it. Uh, but I vow to the listeners that by the time this lockdown is over, I will have finished it. thousand pages long, I'm going to do it. The book that saved the American novel, it's going to happen. Mark can my I words. Specific, can I specifically ask what is it about that? Because you said as a single man in my 20s, why is it a, a book that a single person would read? I would put it as just the most stereotypical, I want people to think I'm smart, novel purchase that there is. Uh, I okay. would say uh, the equivalent of like basically our generation's Wuthering Heights. Uh, yeah. just, this is the book you have to make people think that you're smart and no one's ever yeah. read it the whole way through. But again, I, I vow, I vow. I'm waving yeah. my fingers around for people that can't see it on uh, because they're listening, but I will have that read by the end of it. So finally... You'd be able to explain what happens at the end if yes. else finishes it. <laughs> so, Angeli, you're a GenLib member. What is it that you like about being a member of GenLib? And also, how did you come to be interested and involved in the great ideas of liberty? Um, I love being in GenLib, first of all, because it provides a really good platform to be vocal about a lot of these liberty-related issues, one that I didn't have perhaps before. And it's also a great opportunity to meet other like-minded individuals and connect with them and, and, and have gatherings of people actually discussing important contests of ideas. Um, I really got into the liberty movement, I think, when I first became a research associate at the Australian Taxpayers Alliance. And that's an organisation that focuses a lot on uh, government rates tape, wasteful spending um, and over-regulation and I was able to write as I've mentioned before on various issues and that made me more cognizant of our political sphere and the issues of freedom so that really got me into the liberty movement and since then I've been involved with uh, Students for Liberty, I've been to the Friedman conferences and now I'm here at um, Generation Liberty. That's awesome. really interesting so you were, oh, no, you sorry, thanks mate, yeah that's really interesting so you didn't um you weren't interested in this kind of thing before you started at the ATA, but sort of being there got you involved. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm also very much involved um, on my campus in my liberal club, and that was already because I was interested in politics. But definitely yeah, yeah. being at the ATA really um, solidified that and allowed me to really make sense of my ideas and thoughts. Cool. All right, I've got one James. more question. So uh, we talked about how you've contributed to The Spectator Australia. You're also a Generation Liberty thing, but also a law student. Now, uh, we know a fair few law students. Safe to say that some of the views that Generation Liberty have don't exactly appeal to a lot of law professors out there. Is this something that you're experiencing yourself? Um, not too much. I'm fortunate that in my campus is a lot more of a broad range of ideas and I don't have to face too many of the issues that some of my colleagues, um, even in Generation Liberty, do at other university campuses. But certainly in classes, it does come up that, you know, you do see a, a bit of a political trend towards the left, perhaps, um, 
within law professors, but I haven't personally faced any that would um, have affected me significantly. All right, cool. Anjali Natarajan, uh, campus coordinator down at Macquarie University. If you are at Macquarie University or if you know someone who's there and wants to get involved, make sure they're signing up to Generation Liberty so they can go to all of the cool events. So thank you so much for joining us on the show. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Anjali. Okay, thank you to Angelina Natarajan. So make sure if you're at Macquarie University or if you know someone who is there, get them involved with Generation Liberty. Uh, and if you haven't already, watch Viral Banter. And if you are someone who is online a lot, make sure you're keeping an eye out for those top five lists because they are super fun. And I will finish that book, Pete. I will finish that book. Mark it down. Uh, now, let us get into some stories and made it to the life this week. Now, last week on the show, uh, we brought up that Scott Cam... Uh, we're still getting paid by the Australian government. And much like Footy Island, uh, the forces of politics have uh, taken this up because it's come out this week that Scott Cam is giving up the remainder of his $347,000 salary, which is about $172,000 now. Uh, so, uh, because he can't be doing anything more because of the coronavirus. So, if people don't remember, Scott Cam was hired to become like the tradie ambassador for the government. Given $347,000 salary, people were like, where's the stuff? Because as of last month, there were only three short videos, four social media posts, and a profile on a government website to show for the $347,000 we were paying him. So he's come out this week and he said, you know what? The $172,000 you still owe me? Don't worry about it. What a hero. What a hero. I think that once again, this, this is a victory for us, firstly. That's my point. Secondly... Yep. He said in that interview on Sky that he hadn't done anything for the first five months because TAFE wasn't TAFE was on holiday, right? So he's basically so so to which the reporter said, "Why did you start at this point then, if no one's actually at TAFE?" So that was a good point. But secondly, he sort of has already admitted he did nothing for the first part of his thing because TAFE was on holiday. So I think Scott should be giving maybe all of it back. Uh, I also yeah, so absolutely, but. Everyone is at home right now. Everyone's in quarantine. Everyone's learning new skills. I've downloaded uh, Duolingo. I'm teaching myself Italian. So yeah. if you if you want to hear how to say extremely basic Italian phrases, stick around next week. But Pizza. you're telling me Scott Cam can't do some DIY stuff around the house, like how to be a tradie in your own house right now. You're telling me there's no videos he could be making? That's, all right. That's exactly right. Go to Bunnings. Stimulate the economy. Go to Bunnings yeah. and uh, buy some stuff and... Yeah, that's of all 100%. the excuses right now, like there are so many things to be learning new skills about and then uh, building new, you know, when this is all over, you can finally become the trader you always wanted to be. Scott Cam can be making these videos right now. This is get back to is, work. I think you're right. Where's this? Where's this spirit? You know, I, this is very like kind of. I'm just going to give up, aren't I? You know, you're mm. exactly right. Come you on, can Scott. make all sorts of projects. Come on, Scott. You want to teach these young people to have a bit of spirit and you know. Be a successful trader. Have gumption. a crack. You can have yeah. a bit of gumption. Exactly right. No, I'm with you. I agree with that. Um, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you're exactly right. You're exactly right. And uh, uh, let's not forget he said, you know, it's no one's business what I get paid. And then the woman pointed out, it is because you're going to Now he's very like, openly saying that I'm not getting paid anymore. So now it's our business. Doesn't he need the money? Like everyone needs the money. Anyway. Speaking of which, James, speaking of controversial pay arrangements, Victorian mm -hmm. state parliamentarians oh so labor parliamentarians a couple of weeks ago uh last thursday pledged thursday a couple of weeks ago pledged to donate their increases uh in pay that they received to coronavirus related causes 
uh, because they received a pay rise as the second part of an 11.8% pay increase for the Premier Opposition Leader and their front front back benches. So obviously this caused a bit of a, uh, a uh, what's the word, a bit of an uproar. So they, they, was gonna, they were scheduled to get this pay rise. It was a pretty big pay rise, to be honest. The Premier is the highest paid Premier in Australia. And they took the pay rise. And when they did take the pay rise, there was an, uh, an uproar. And rather than saying, oh, we won't take the pay rise because there's millions of Australians unemployed, we're going to donate it to charity. I think there they've missed the point. It's not yep. about donating to charity. We just don't want to give it to you in the first place. So yeah. <laughs> it's like people are losing their jobs and they're, they're not even not taking pay rises. They're not even freezing their pay. Everyone should be, yep. The public servant should be reducing their pay. Every public mm-hmm. servant that earns over 150 grand should be doing a 20% pay cut. They've got 100% job security. They get 15% super where everyone else gets 9.5%. They get paid more than private sector workers. Unbelievable. This is fresh off the press. This just got texted to me. So fresh off the press, Pete. Uh, sports update. The WWD, WWE is named an essential business by the governor of Florida. So sports are back. They're back. So yeah, hang Sports on. is back. Is, so we're calling wrestling a sport for a start. Is that? Yeah, but it's it, that, that's the best side we've had. The WWD is it now an essential business in Florida. Oh, so, that, so they have to do it. It's an essential business. Get it back up. We're back. I like their definition of essential in Florida. You know, yeah. a lot of a lot of things. Yeah, that's great. So, do you think that that means that other sports will follow in America, or you don't know? You just at least play. in Florida, Miami Heat's coming back. The Miami Dolphins can play a few NFL games. Sports are back, Pete. This is good. WWE is an essential business. No, we really we really missed it. We do need it back. There's nothing to do on the weekends, especially because right. there's no sport. Now, last on the show, uh, what we've been reading, watching, you know, a guide for people out there. We talked about books as well. So uh, earlier in the show, so Pete, what's been what's been on your radar this week? Well, I told you about the Barefoot Investor earlier in the show, but I've been watching, yep. I've been binging on YouTube on Netflix, according to Boston Edwards's tip a couple of weeks ago, Babylon Berlin. And how do you find it? I find it. The way I watch TV, James, is that I sort of, I don't, I like, I really veg out when I watch this TV, right? So I'm not really following the story, but I don't care. I just want to see the colors and the scenery and like, there's a little bit of political stuff, which is interesting. And, you know, there's like six characters and everything's happening and whatever. So I like it. I would recommend it. I maintain it's one of the slowest TV shows I've ever watched. It's a bit slow. It's slow. You need the detective and the uh, detective's assistant don't meet each other until episode four, which I would say needs to happen in the first episode. Well, you know, they're Ger- it's German film noir. So, yeah, so you think it'd be more efficient than other TV shows out there. They're not worried about getting you to some point where something amazing happens. They're just, they're just going to pump out the shows and you have to, you know, wait your time. All right, mine is uh, the Strokes had a new album out over the weekend, the new Abnormal. I've already listened to it three times the entire way through. It is that good. The Strokes are decidedly back. It's really good, is it? I love the Strokes. It I love is a listen. really, really good. Any tracks in particular I should look out for? Uh, the first and the last one. So uh, Adults Are Talking, the first one, and Ode to the Mets, the last one. They're the two best on the album, in my view. Big Bernie supporters of Strokes, unfortunately. Yeah, so it's Vampire Weekend, but, you know, the music Whatever. Good. I don't really care about musicians. If I cared about the politics of the musicians and the actors that I like, I'd be left yeah. with nothing. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. Noel Gallagher was a big Tony Blair fan and you can tell that he wants to be conservative, but he can't be because culturally you just can't be conservative if you're from a housing estate in Manchester. But you can well, tell he is. Go. You can tell he is. He's a grumpy old I, man. He, you know, he wants to keep all his money. He's definitely conservative. 
Well, not you that talked that's about what conservatives are. You wanted to. You wanted to. You were talking with uh, Anjali before about your next Spectator Australia article. I think I just heard the lead. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Noel Gallagher's a conservative. That'd make waves. Yep. All right, cool. Uh, we actually have to go to a meeting now. So uh, yeah. that is it for the show this week. So thank you to uh, Anjali. Make sure you're standing up at Macquarie University. If you're a Generation Liberty member, you've got a whole bunch of content coming your way. Keep an eye out for it. Thank you all for listening. See you guys next week. See ya.